0: Welcome to the Indy Matters podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. We're a nonprofit news site. You can find us at thenevadaindependent.com. You can find this podcast on all kinds of platforms as well. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Subscribe, rate us, tell everybody. At the end of this program, as usual, managing editor Elizabeth Thompson and I will discuss some important issues. But first... Today on Indy Matters, we are joined by Dallas Harris, who has been appointed to replace Aaron Ford in the state Senate after he was elected Attorney General. She's an attorney with the Public Utilities Commission. Welcome. Thank you. Also joining me to ask questions, reporter Riley Snyder. Hi, Riley.
1: Hey,
2: John. Welcome back.
0: Thank you very much. I am just back from a glorious vacation, but there's nowhere else on earth that I'd rather be than at UNLV doing Indy Matters, and we're glad to have you. Uh, as, as our post, first post election guest, Dallas Harris, the first uh, question I think is, is the most obvious one. Why? Why do you want to be in the legislature?
3: Well, uh, I've been looking for an opportunity to give back to the community that has given so much to me, the community that I grew up in. Uh, I went to school, got a master's degree in public policy, went and got a law degree learned a little bit about uh, some complicated regulatory issues and figured with the skill set and experience that I have, this was the opportunity and the best way for me to go ahead and uh, contribute, make life better for uh, for my fellow Nevadans. So how did you end
0: up at the PUC in the first place as an administrative attorney? And tell our listeners exactly what you do there.
3: Sure. Well, like a lot of things in life, it was a... Uh, 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 random occurrence where I saw a posting for the job opportunity. I was working in D.C. as a policy fellow at a, at a nonprofit organization called Public Knowledge. Uh, that was a two-year fellowship, so I knew at a certain point I was going to have to uh, figure something out. I was looking for an opportunity to come back home, searching for uh, some good old public service jobs, came across this posting. Uh, was encouraged to apply by a mentor of mine. Applied, interviewed, and, and was lucky enough to get it. So within two weeks, I packed up my stuff and moved back home.
0: And so, what does what the job entail? Tell people people might not know what an administrative
3: attorney uh, for the PUC does. Sure, I would hope that that they don't spend too much time <laughs> that they <laughs> that they would if they're they're living their lives like like most folks. Uh, It is what kind of would be equivalent to a law clerk for a judge. So I work directly for uh, Commissioner Ann Pongrants, and it is my job to move all of her dockets from beginning to end, to uh, make sure that the train keeps chugging, so to speak, right, keeping the wheels on the bus, communicating with the parties on her behalf. Uh, drafting orders, uh, drafting procedural orders. Now that's kind of getting to the weeds a little bit. But essentially, I, I'm making sure that the dockets are uh, uh, on time and uh, that we don't get backlogged. And I offer a little bit of advice as well to her on on how we should proceed. So
0: you're doing this job, and then what what happens? Did someone
3: uh, contact you about the opening?
0: Uh, uh, did Sen- Did you talk to Senator Ford? How, how did that all come about?
3: Well, uh as is true of a lot of things in in this day and age, I saw a post on Facebook. Uh, a, a friend of mine. Seriously. I, no, I'm I I kid you not. A friend of mine uh, mentioned that. Oh, look, there's an opening in you know Senate Districts Three and Eleven. He posted the link for the application. He mentioned he was thinking of applying, and I thought to myself, Well, let me just click this link here, uh, and that's when I realized I happened to live in a, a tiny district, uh, a tiny corner of Senator Ford's district. And uh, started thinking seriously about putting in an application and, and what that might mean. Um, I spoke to a couple of people who I, who I trust and who are uh, good advisors. And again, I got uh, some encouragement to put in the application. And, and so I did so. And, you know, I felt like uh, this was the time to step forward. So I did. Uh, but before I let uh, Riley take over... Um, and start
0: asking much harder questions <laughs> uh, were you were you encouraged by anyone in the state Senate to do this I mean did did, did you have any certainty that you were going to get this if you
3: applied how did that happen <laughs> absolutely not mm-hmm. um, I don't really know anybody in the state Senate. Uh, I'm getting to know them uh, at this point over the, over the course of the all last week. All your new week. best friends, right? That's, that's right. They've all been uh, absolutely welcoming and amazing and supportive. Uh, and I'm looking forward to kind of getting in the trenches with each and every one of them. But uh, this was something that I, I, you know, tried to figure out on my own. Right? I put in the application and, and started to figure out who I needed to talk to, um, if there were was anybody who I could who I could call. Um, I called and I picked up the phone and, and kind of put in put in the footwork to, to get myself uh, uh, known. Well, congratulations! Riley. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, uh, Senator. i You know, you you mentioned you saw this on Facebook and congrats on being probably one of the first legislators to <laughs> get into office by, through <laughs> Facebook post. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious because I've spent some time covering the legislature, not as much time as some other people in this room. Um, but a lot of the times what we see are that the people who apply for these jobs or who run for office are retired or are a little bit older, have sort of a couple of, uh, decades of career experience behind them. Uh, you, you're still sort of new and, uh, Uh, I I don't want to say new to Nevada because you're from here, but, you know, you're going to be a little bit younger than the average age. I'm just curious what inspired you to run and to get involved into public office and to put yourself out there in this way um, so early in your professional life?
3: Well, you know, I think that's actually part of the reason. Uh, One of the things that... I have uh, always noticed is that there aren't very many uh, female uh, African-american millennial right lawyers in the legislature uh, across the across the country right and, and and when you you see that you kind of need uh, a little bit of each and every one of those and I represent that you know I felt that this is actually a perspective that that needs to be brought to the legislature and I hope that um, my my youth is an asset and in fact fact, you know, I'm not even the youngest uh, female state senator, which is great to hear. Uh, and I, I'm just hoping to add to that diversity and perspective.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just curious. You know, you uh, applied for this job. You, you listed a bunch of your experiences. Just do you have a, a list of sort of ideas or concepts you want to tackle when you get to, to Carson City in terms of bills you would want to introduce?
3: Sure. I mean, I don't have any uh, specifics, right? It's uh, as of tomorrow will be one week (laughs) Mm -hmm. that I was appointed. But there are some things that are particularly important to me. Um, Having four degrees, education is a big thing. I believe that it opens doors. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I'm able to, at this point in my life, take on this opportunity that, you know, will require me to not take a little bit of pay for a while, right? You know, I, I'm able to serve because of, of the education, I think, that that I have. And I want to be able to uh, uh, spread that across Nevada so that there are other people who feel that they can do really what they want to do um, and aren't shackled by uh, a, a nine to five or, a, a, you know, a more traditional job or, or whatever that may be so that they can't go ahead and pursue their dreams so education is is a big thing i think that's important um, another thing that I think Nevada does really well and has been working on, and I want to make sure continues, is uh, business development. You know, Nevada has uh, worked to become a business-friendly state. I think education and business development will go hand-in-hand, right? The more educated uh, our population is, the uh, more likely we are to attract those uh, businesses that are bringing good, good high-paying jobs to, to Nevada. And so I want to make sure that, that we continue that trajectory.
0: You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's the vacation grogginess, uh, uh, O'Reilly. But I should have mentioned earlier that for people who don't know, State Senator uh, uh, Ford is a Democrat you have to be uh, appointed from the same party you're a Democrat as well so people uh, sh- should know that going in you mentioned education and and I saw uh, uh, an interview you did with the review journal you talked about how you know you're from you're from here uh, you, you're, you're, you're upset that we, we've always ranked so low in education 48th in it in education and, and that's on a good day. Uh, and so, what, what do we do about it? Uh, uh, I, I, I understand it's only been a week, but uh, I, I guess maybe I'm exacting, but I think that anyone who applies for a job in the legislature should know something about the budget and the state and, and the rest of it. I assume you have some ideas. Uh, is it enhancing the education budget? Are there other things that you think should be done? It doesn't have to be specific bills, but if you're concerned about this, you must have some ideas about how to fix it. Sure.
3: Uh, I think funding is a big part of it. Um, you know, when I, I graduated from UNLV, I believe in 2008, then I got a second degree from here in 2009. Uh, and since that time, a, a good chunk of majors aren't even offered at the university anymore. Right. And that, that that's partially a, a budget issue. Um, everybody knows that government shows priorities through through its budget, right? So, yes, I would definitely like um, dollars to walk in education's direction, especially given our uh, newfound revenue stream with the legalization of marijuana. So, um, you know, paying teachers more. Uh, a lot of the things that I'd like to do is really get out uh, now that I have this opportunity and listen to those who know best, right? So I, I don't necessarily want to prescribe all of the answers, um, but I I am willing to, to sit down and, and speak with anybody who has any good ideas, right? And, and another issue is uh, the different levels of government, right? I'll be working at the state, but a lot of this is is with s- counties, right, and school districts. And so, you know, how we all work together on different levels of government uh, will be a big part of it as well.
0: You know, it's interesting because you mentioned uh, Nevada being business friendly and and, and the economy, and and, and, uh, and schools, they all interact. And, and we just had a story that ran uh, in, in The Independent about uh, how these tax incentives that are offered to businesses, Tesla is the most well-known, uh, uh, they often will, uh, in some people's eyes, take money away uh, from schools uh, because, because of, of the tax breaks that, that are given. Has the state been pursuing the right policy in giving companies tax incentives to move here?
3: Well, you know, I think a lot of that uh, determines to be seen, right? With the results aren't always uh, automatic. Uh, we need to see. Uh, there has been a very large boom in Reno's economy. Uh, take a look at, at the rent prices, which, you know, is an indicator of of booming economic factors, right? But it also can be a, a disadvantage for, for some of the locals who, who can't afford the rent anymore. But you know my my point being there is that there is some evidence that bringing in these big companies is driving the economy uh, we need to make sure we're doing that both in the north and in the south so you you, you know it's a, it's a it's a balance that you have to strike, uh, you know, the cost benefit analysis must be done there. We obviously should not be giving away tax breaks that are larger than what we could expect uh, to be returned in property taxes, uh, in, in other taxes that eventually do flow back to education. So, you know, those are things that we can definitely study and look at and should continue to look at and evaluate uh, each business de- decision uh, on its parents.
2: Senator, uh, when you are sworn into office in January, you're going to be in a, a somewhat unique role in the sense that you'll be working for the PUC, presumably on on some sort of leave. Correct. And also serving in the legislature at the same time. And there's been an ongoing, I guess, debate or discussion over whether or not uh, folks can do that work for an executive branch agency and then also serve in the legislature. Uh, Senator Mo Dennis. Also worked for the PUC for a while and served in the legislature. This came up in the 2017 session with Senator Heidi Gansert, who's employed by the University of Nevada, Reno. So for our listeners, I'm just curious, how do you plan to address that? Do you plan to recuse yourself on anything that has to do with um, the Public Utilities Commission and any legislation that might affect them? And how do you just, in general, view that debate? Do you think it's... um, Is there any reason people should have a concern that you might be employed by one part of the government, but also serving in the, the, the same or different part of the government?
3: I definitely think people should not be concerned. Um, you know, the, the case law on this actually uh, is fairly clear. Uh, a lot of the, the legal gui- guidance out there suggests that uh, there's no issue with being employed by a state agency uh, as well as serving as a state legislator. Um, I, I myself do not serve any executive function. Uh, you know, I'm not a, a commissioner. I'm not a, a decision maker of any type. Um, I, I would, in fact, follow any uh, ethical legal guidance that I would get from the Legislative Council Bureau regarding um, recusals on matters that may come before me at the Public Utilities Commission, and similarly would uh, have to step away from any matters in my context at the Public Utilities Commission that may have created conflict for my time at the legislature. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, the Gansard case. I believe that that came down clear that working for the Nevada System of Fire Education was, was not an issue. And so um, it is my my intention to um, look for another job Um I, like most Nevadans, cannot just up and quit without having some other job. I'm sure each and every person who's listening understands that. Um, But it's important to me to uh, avoid any appearance of impropriety. And so um, I will seek another position and, and if I can if I can find one that is in public service uh, I, ha- I have student loans <laughs> that are out absolutely outrageous I went to a private law school I'm sure lots of people can relate to that as well so you know I need to remain in public service public service is important to me um, without that I will uh, of course be taking uh, paid leave and will not be working and getting a paycheck from the Commission while I'm serving uh, up in Carson so this is an issue that I'm, I'm looking at and thinking about and 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 I want to make sure that uh, I I keep the the, the faith of, of my constituents and and that they know that I am I'm working for them and and their interest only.
2: Mm-hmm. And I guess on the other side of that coin, right, is that you are going to come into the legislature with more knowledge about how the PUC works and what could be improved and what isn't currently working than any of the other 62 people in the legislature. So, are there any um, I guess specifics or general changes you would want to see towards the rate making? process for the PUC that you would recommend the legislature move towards that you think your expertise in that area would be helpful
3: in? Well, let me start with your first point, right? Like, what a paradox, isn't it? That that there are some who would suggest that this is a conflict of interest, but yet it is the, the expertise that I, I might bring to the legislature. And so I think that that is, um, you know, one of the unfortunate consequences of um, how our, our legislature is set up, right? We have great benefits of having the citizen legislature. We were, we're all regular people working jobs, doing our thing, uh, and then going and serving for, for Nevadans. And we don't lose touch with with the day-to-day, which is always a nice benefit. But um, it does sometimes lead to, to what I think might be a little bit of an absurd result, right, where I kind of have to give up what, what might create my expertise and possibly pursue that expertise in, in other ways um, if I want to go ahead and serve and then use that expertise. Um, are there specifics uh, that I'd like to change on the rate-making process? Given that I'm still currently employed for the Public Utilities Commission, I don't think I can uh, prescribe any any changes at the moment. Um, I do think that there is a lot of work that needs to be done. Even with uh, question three being defeated, um, the the rate making process um, isn't perfect. It never is. <laughs> uh, I hope that we will continue to look at it and make sure that uh, it works for Nevadans and that NV Energy uh, and and all the other public utilities that hold the public's trust are are truly striking that proper balance between uh, the interests of the ratepayers and the shareholders.
0: Uh, I didn't think I was going to get into a legal debate with a lawyer on on this podcast. However, I do play a lawyer on this podcast occasionally. But before I push back on a couple of the things that you said, Senator, I want this to be noted uh, for the record that Riley Snyder, who was a graduate of UNR and insists on referring generally to UNR as University of Nevada did say on this podcast, University of Nevada, Reno. And I want that moment noted for history. It's it's on tape now, Riley.
2: Just, uh, Joey, please delete this. <laughs> please take <laughs> <He's>
0: it out. He's <laughs> talking to our producer, but the, I'm sorry for that little uh, tangent there, but this is very important. No, I, th- I think that's an important <laughs> note. <laughs> <laughs> Riley and I have had this debate for a long time. So let's, let's talk about what you said in terms of the, it, it is an interesting uh, legal issue, actually, and 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 I, just, I I want to get into a couple of things. So you're going to take you're going to take an unpaid leave from the PUC uh, to be a senator, uh, and then you say you're going to be looking for another job. But if you don't think it's an issue, why not go back to that job? If that if you don't think it's an issue for
3: uh, a, a someone who's working in the executive branch to be in the legislature? Well, I am. I'm someone who likes to strike a balance, right? And so. Uh, um, I don't want to. E- I I really don't even want to invite the idea that there there might be some. You worried about the perception? Is, is that all it is? You know, I I'm not particularly. I'm not particularly. Um, but you know, I've I've uh, never been sued before, and I'm not looking to start mm. now. Uh, it's a suit. I think I I'm a hundred percent sure. In fact, that we could win. Um, and if I can find another job, then I will. If I cannot find another job, then I will continue to <laughs> work in the, in the position that I have because, of course, I, I need a, a, a source of income uh, just like everyone else. And I think that, that that's the proper balance is that, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and resign right away or, you know, or, or be in some hurry. But uh, I, I will go ahead and, and, and look around and see if I can find something else that would be um, uh, clearly well within and in the bounds.
0: As I said before, you're, you're a lawyer, I'm not, but I've always found this to be a fascinating legal issue. And you said that there, there is some case law on this. There's really, and Riley, correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's really only two cases in there, the ones that you mentioned, which are the Mo Dennis case, which ended up being moot because he, because he left he the PUC.
3: Resigned.
0: That's right. Uh, and, the, and the Gansert case. But, 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 Really, it seems to me that common sense would tell somebody it depends on what the job is in, in, in the executive branch. And, 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 and you say you're not a commissioner, right? But let's, let, me, let me just push back on that. You're, you're, you're providing legal advice to the commissioner. You're writing stuff essentially that has the commissioner's name and you're acting as a de facto commissioner. So aren't you acting in an executive branch capacity in that job?
3: Well, I, I would have to take issue with the, the idea that I act as a de facto commissioner. I didn't think uh, you'd accept it. In there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there are three of them. Yep. There's a chairman. They're appointed by the governor. No one else has the ability to decide anything. Drafting, not drafting, advising, not advising. Uh, Trust me, for those who know Ann Grant, she doesn't just uh, roll over. You know, I I don't make the decision. She does. It's her signature. She's the commissioner. She's got the certificate of appointment. It's her function. Uh, I simply am employed by the state like many other state employees.
0: You know, I, I don't want you to take this personally. But, this uh, we've well, no. just we've just met today, but sure. I hope you do get sued uh, reason, <laughs> because I I think this I think this issue really does need to be resolved once once and for all. Be, you're right. you're because, right. Because the problem with a part-time legislature, in my opinion, uh, is that everybody has a conflict mm-hmm. essentially, whether you're in the public sector or or the private That's sector. Right. The difference is, is in the public sector there is le- legitimate arguments. I'm not saying that that that, that, that I, I side one way about whether. Uh, uh, you can serve in two branches of government at, at at the same time, but it would be nice if this issue were, were were resolved because it's so easy to call into question a legislator's credibility by saying uh, uh, Senator ha- Harris has a conflict because uh, she works at the PUC. You could just as easily do that with someone who is a lawyer representing certain clients who have interests before the legislature. It's a problem. I agree. See, this This is the way that all podcast guests should behave, Riley. Just say, I agree to me. What do you think? If
2: that was the case, I couldn't come on the podcast yeah. anymore, John. That's
3: probably right. <laughs> Does this mean I'll be invited back?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Go ahead, Riley. I'm sorry.
2: Uh, sure. So, Senator, another thing I wanted to ask about, and you mentioned this in your application with the Clark County Commission uh, before they appointed you to the seat, was about the 704B process. And for our less energy nerd listeners, <laughs> that's the process in state law where major energy users – can apply to leave Envy Energy's service and buy power from another provider. They usually have to pay a pretty substantial exit fee for the right to do so. You mentioned in your application you'd like to see some changes to that process. Are there any you could detail for us now?
3: Uh, Sure. I mean, I can give uh, just a a general sense of of what I'm thinking here, right? And it's it's actually related to uh, the business development idea, right? We're a business-friendly state. Um, I think we can provide some clarification that if you are um, coming to Nevada and you have never been a customer of the power company and you have met some other conditions— that the impact fee maybe should not be so substantial, right? And if there's some some clarification on exactly what's needed in the application process, I think that could be helpful. Um, but again, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail given that uh – I may be processing a 704B application uh, in the near future. In your role as a commissioner?
2: <laughs> De facto, <laughs> De facto <laughs> commissioner,
3: John. The Public Utilities <laughs> Commission, my employer, may be processing several 704B I was, applications. I was just seeing if I could catch you in a, tra- in, in, in a
0: trap there. But, but I'll let Riley continue in a second. But sure. why, why should why should a company, Riley's written some stories about this too and some of these issues where a company moving into the state, why should they have to pay any impact fee at all? It, just, I mean, I think someone who doesn't not familiar with all the intricacies of 704B process and how energy policy works might say, why would they have to pay an impact fee to get out from under
3: something they're not already in? Well, uh, that's a good question. And I think it's a often a situation-by-situation situation analysis Um lately we have been finding that there isn't an impact fee and I think a lot of the times we're getting that right um, but the answer to your question would simply be because there's an impact mm-hmm. right and and if for uh, some confluence of factors there is in fact an impact on ratepayers then uh, as 704b has written requires that that impact to be passed on to the the exiting customer
2: yeah so I guess just in general, right, there's the, sort of a growing debate over these exit applications. We've had seven so far filed this year, as I'm sure you're aware. It's sort of become a, a pretty big issue. There's a lot of that's been filed by a lot of major energy users, everyone from you know a random uh, biofuels company in Northern Nevada to MGM Resorts. So do you have a concern, and is there anything you think the legislature should do to sort of um, address the 704B process and make sure that NV Energy isn't just left with small businesses and residential users and all the... The big power users file these applications and get out from under the utility is the that potential future, does that worry you at all in terms of energy market design?
3: Well, I think there's an inherent tension between saying we're going to allow people to leave um, and then say, "But we don't want NV Energy to be left with you know certain customers who weren't allowed to leave right I'm, that uh, That was always a possible scenario. <laughs> Um, we, we see that it is, in fact, picking up. And I, I think that the applications are coming um, much faster and there are a lot more than was anticipated. So, of course, we need to sit down and take another look. Mm-hmm. Um, can I prescribe the fix now? No. Um, should we be examining it? A hundred percent. A hundred percent, because we, we want to make sure that uh, ratepayers aren't left uh, paying for uh, the residential rate payers, anyway, right, aren't left paying for a lot of the big um, coal plant retirements or um, any public policy costs that that we've decided as a state to pass on. Uh, you know, we don't want a, a system where uh, a majority, uh, especially those who are least likely to bear it, right, are bearing some of the, the more costs than those who are who are um, more suited to to be able to carry it carry that at least we want it equal right some equity amongst amongst uh All of the different types of customers, even distribution-only service customers. Mm
2: -hmm. And on the topic of energy uh, market design, which, again, is another fascinating topic all of our podcast (laughs) listeners love to hear about. I'm sure Uh, sure people
3: (laughs) are like, tune in, yeah, yeah, turn in their volume This is the good
2: part. Um, (laughs) There were two energy ballot questions on the ballot in 2018. Question three, question six. Question three would have made us a retail state by 2023. Question six was the 50% RPS. Can you tell us how you voted and why on those two ballot questions?
3: (laughs) What happened to the secret ballot box? Um well, I actually, okay, all right, yes, I will tell you. I voted um, yes on three. Um, I was feeling a bit whimsy <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the uh, a lot of the smart people that I know um, voted no, advised me to vote no, right? That was a, a lot of what the analysis was suggesting, um, I I had a sense that that's probably where it was going to go. But you know what, I like competition. Um, And I think uh, it is unbelievably difficult to do in the energy sector, but if done right, could be good. Uh, the chances of us doing it right were probably pretty small. I'll, 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 I'll give it—you know—I'll give the the no on three side that, um, but I just felt like having a little fun with my vote, so I, vote, I voted yes on three. Um, yeah it could have been fun to I, secretly I kind of wanted to like implement it right uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> what would it be like to set up an energy market you know and and you know if we're responsible at the Public Utilities Commission for at least a, a big chunk of putting it together, if it failed, that would be on us, and I think we could have we got a lot of smart people and 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 maybe could have gotten it right uh, it would have been fun to try anyway mm-hmm. uh, so that that was that um, and I voted yes on the RPS standard.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, There's been some discussion from everyone from Assemblyman Chris Brooks to Senator Kelvin Atkinson about raising that. Senator Atkinson said he wants 100% RPS. Do you have a target in mind? Is there a level you think that the state's renewable portfolio standard um, should be set at? And if you think that's the best metric or uh, tool for policymakers like yourself to get the state to use more renewable energy, if that is a a goal?
3: Well... Uh, you know, I think right now the market's actually doing a little bit of that work for us, which is great. Renewable energy is uh, now becoming a bit cheaper than, than the bad stuff, which is awesome. That always provides incentives for people to uh, shift the mix. Um, do I think 100% is where we should go? Sure. Uh, that's a, a great ideal, right, for us to reach to. Um, when that would be realistic, the work we'd need to do is is, is something I need to look into a bit more. But I, I see no reason that we can't shoot for uh, perfection, right? I mean, that's always the standard, I think. Mm. Um, I... I Clearly, we uh, have the support of, of, of Nevadans in, in moving the state uh, in, in, the, in the right direction, I think, to, to increase that standard. So I know that's something that we'll be looking at, and I, I support the majority leader in, in his efforts. Mm-hmm.
0: Riley, before uh, we get uh, a nasty gram from Chris Brooks, I should remind you that he has now been promoted to the state Senate. Oops. <laughs> and, <laughs> that is now, he now is Senator now, Brooks. he's <laughs> he now uh, one of Senator Harris's colleagues, and uh, we, we know he would tell us about this. So, Senator Brooks, we have corrected the record uh, uh, here. So, so it's interesting that uh, um, uh, Riley coaxed you into uh, saying how you voted. Uh, I know you—you th- <laughs> you, yeah, you know, I've heard people use— It wasn't the se- that hard. No, the, I've heard people use the secret ballot uh, 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 argument, and I understand— so I'm glad you told us that but it's, sure. I mean you said in, in a fit of whimsy you're obviously not a whimsical person especially when it comes to this you really believed that competition uh, would have been good now you and I both know. Uh, That it's not that simple and that that energy policy is hopelessly complex. I give Riley a lot of credit for understanding and translating uh, for for our readers. But uh, this is far from over. You you know that as well. These folks who wanted this done are probably going to come back and ask you right uh here's what, here's some changes uh, we should make. What do you expect? What do you think the the, the, the initiatives are going uh, are going that are gonna come before you in 2019 that you're gonna have to consider related to potentially trying to create more competition?
3: Well, we'll see um, i I haven't seen any bills yet. Uh, no one has come beating down my door uh, asking me to, to put something forward that would, you know, uh, get rid of NV Energy's monopoly. Um, but so, you clearly think they should not have a monopoly, right? That's not necessarily true. I well, mean, you said I think, you want competition. I, I think in, in general, my, my basic principle is competition is good, right? And monopolies do lead not to not great things for consumers, right? And I think uh, part of the reason why uh, you can't do a recurring payment for envy energy on your on your bill uh, with your credit card is because it's a regulated utility, right? And they can't pass those costs on to ratepayers. You know that that's something that they aren't allowed to do. You can go to any place and, and pay with a credit card normally, except regulated utilities, right? I mean, the the innovation often isn't there. Stagnation. That that's a general uh, uh, principle view that I have about about monopolies versus competitive markets, right? You want you want people to compete with each other for your services, and that generally leads to better services. Better customer service, I'm sure. Some people are asking of that of Envy Energy, right? Uh, You know, these are general principles. However, energy is, in fact, different. We have infrastructure, right, that's already in the ground, that's owned by one person. There's very little we can do about that. Uh, Certain goods lend themselves to be delivered through the market in a monopoly fashion or an oligopoly fashion. So uh, to fashion a market would be difficult and could be bad, um, because this is the kind of natural state for this particular good, so you know it's not necessarily that that it would have worked out. And I, I think the chances are are small that that it that it would have, but it could have, and it would have been fun to give it a shot.
0: Fun. <laughs> this is my kind of fun. Yes. yes. Wait. Wait till you get to Carson City for four months. So, so uh, uh, I guess I'm just wondering. Sure. I'm sure you you've, you've had conversations with Chris Brooks uh, already about this. Do you know Chris Brooks at all?
3: Well, Senator Brooks and I uh, did meet when we were at the city council meeting, and so and I had met him um, one time previously, and we, we have had preliminary discussions that this is something we'd like to get in the weeds on since we're both kind of down there in the weeds, um, and, and we're looking forward to working together on this. Any specifics? No.
0: You're going to get in the weeds with Chris Brooks. Can you let us know when those hearings are so I can tune those ones (laughs) out and let Riley handle those? Sure. Sure. All right. Riley, you have anything else?
2: Yeah, I guess, Senator, just sort of in closing, um, you know, for a lot of people, this is going to be their first time hearing from you, uh, getting to see you. You've lived a private life up until this point. Now you're sort of in the public sphere. Um, Just... Personally, how would you describe yourself politically? Would you call yourself, you know, relatively liberal or would you consider yourself a moderate? I'm just curious how you would self-categorize yourself uh, with political labels.
3: If I must categorize myself, uh, which I'm not necessarily a fan of, uh, you know, I would consider myself fairly socially liberal. Um, And I hate to say socially liberal and fiscal conservative. Some people don't think that actually exists. Um, but I will say that uh, r- part of the responsibilities of the legislature is, is the person, and, and we should take that responsibility just as seriously as all of the others. Um, in my own personal life, I'm a, a big personal finance kind of person. Anybody heard of uh, the FIRE movement? Financial independence, retire early. Mr. Money Mustache. Mr. Uh, Money
2: Mustache, Mr. yeah. Money, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a
3: big follower of, of that. So uh, you know, I think any of those principles that I can bring to government, I will do so. Um, You know, I I am all about tolerance. There's only one thing I won't tolerate and that's intolerance. And so I think we should all, uh, you know, be friendly to each other and more rights, the better, right? Let's treat each other with respect. Uh, Help those who have less. If you have it, give it. (laughs) If you don't have it, then, you know, you should have somewhere to go to, to, to get assistance. We all need opportunity. And I think that that's something that government can provide. Um, But I am well aware that there are government failures just like there are market failures. And so there's always a a line to walk. and, And that's where the fun is.
0: Senator, I have to say that if, if you're uh, practicing this uh, plan to retire early, going to Carson City for four <laughs> months on an unpaid uh, basis is not exactly uh, generally on that pathway. But Worth the sacrifice. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I, I, I do really uh, admire you for for taking this on, and, and your story is great. The Facebook post uh, <laughs> all, all the way up to Carson City. Uh, we wish you all the best. Thank uh, you good so luck, much. Uh, and, and thanks for coming on Indy Matters. Thank you for having me. You bet. Riley, thanks for coming along to ask the Uh, important questions. As always, John. All right. When we come back, uh, Managing Editor Elizabeth Thompson and I will discuss some issues. Stick around. Welcome back to Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. I'm joined now by the best number two in the world, Elizabeth Thompson, the managing editor who makes the Nevada Independent what it is. Thanks for coming on.
1: Just the world, not the galaxy?
0: Well, uh, you, you know, uh, I, I really don't want to give you too big a head. So I, I think the world w- w- will, have to will do do for suffice now. for now. All but right. You keep trying. OK. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> give me something to shoot
0: for. <laughs> Let's talk about a couple things. Uh, you, you and I have been around uh, a while, uh, myself a little bit longer than you, and watching legislators and getting cynical. Uh, and we just had this Person come on the podcast who, uh, you mean, I'm skeptical of the whole idea of a citizen legislature, as some people know. But here you have this person who I thought was probably, you know, had some connection to Senator Ford or someone in the legislature. But it turns out she found out about this from a Facebook post. She's a very educated person, went to some good schools. She's a lawyer. uh, And I was really, really gratified to hear her story. I don't know if she's going to be a good legislator or not. What was your take?
1: Uh, I think she, it sounds like she will be a good legislator because she kept – a legislator because she kept using the word fun <laughs> in regard to extremely complex – She's you know, in for a shot. – Policy. Yeah, we'll see if she still feels that way right. at the end of the session. <laughs> um, you know, frankly – she was like a breath of fresh air I mean she answered every question that was asked without equivocating or avoiding or deflecting including how she voted on two ballot questions a lot of public officials will not agree to say how they voted on on something I think that showed some courage especially on an issue that's going to be one of the issues of this session which is energy um, I f- fascinated that she found out about it on Facebook from a friend who also, I wonder how her friend feels, (laughs) the one who was also wanting to apply for the Maybe it was um, a different district. Maybe. (laughs) Um, And she described herself in a way at the end when she was asked, you know, how would you label yourself? In a way, I think uh, many Nevadans identify, which is that, you know what, I'm sort of socially liberal, but fiscally, you know, as a taxpayer and a a bill payer, a bit more conservative. Um, She certainly sounded uh, like an, supporter of the free market when she was talking about question three and her openness to to building some kind of a free uh, market energy plan here in Nevada. So uh, yeah, and she was, I, I don't know if she had pre-prepared for it, but she had some thoughts on her job and whether it was a conflict, either in general as a lawmaker or in specific to how she'll be asked to, uh, to vote. Um, and I think to her credit, she's made a decision to at least try to step out of her Position just to erase any question uh, of a conflict. So she's obviously, as an attorney, cognizant of of those issues. But, you know, a good conversation. And it's always, uh, you know, it's always fun, I think, to get to know our our new lawmakers uh, as we get ready to head up to Carson City once again?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think she probably thought, Elizabeth, that we would bring up um, uh, the issue of, of, of separation of powers, and I thought she was very thoughtful about that, and then that she, she'd actually thought about to the extent that whether she, she doesn't really think it's a conflict, but that she cares about how she's perceived, and I thought it was quite humorous, that she's never been sued, and she doesn't want to be sued right now, because she they, they, they there will be a group like the Nevada Policy Research Institute or someone else who, who will sue her over it. I have just a little slight nuance in what you said, though. Uh, she knows her energy stuff, obviously, and has a lot of thoughts about that. And I thought it was remarkably candid of her to tell us she voted in the way that got crushed at the ballot box on question three. But you said she didn't equivocate. She actually did on on the questions of um, education and, and, and the tax incentives. But I give her credit for in, in in this sense, she didn't come up with any kind of canned uh, answers. She basically knows what she doesn't know. She feels that we need more money in education, but based on having grown up here and and, and so forth, and she thinks that Nevada is a business-friendly state, and that, and and but she doesn't have all the answers. Uh, which gosh, it's refreshing to to hear that, right? You know, I expect people who run for the legislature to have more than a passing knowledge of the budget, but she just just got appointed a week ago, yeah. And so I thought she was just. Very, I mean, listen, maybe she's maybe she's the Catherine Hepburn of, of of our time. <laughs> and she's the greatest actress uh, ever, but I don't think so. Uh, and and so I think she may be in for some. Uh, uh, she 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 may be in for a little culture shock once she gets there. But uh, uh, it sure is nice to see somebody, even though I don't necessarily agree with the idea of a citizen legislature. She's a real citizen.
1: It seems so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she put herself through law school. It sounds like, and has tons of student debt for right. one thing. Right. She told us before the podcast that she grew up here in Las Vegas, native Nevada, and so she's been here uh, and seen what it's like to to live life in this state and to grow up in this state and to see the many uh, changes. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. Again, we'll. I, I think we should invite her back uh, after the session. Uh, and and kind of revisit some of these things and see how how she feels. Then we will do that. Uh, while I was uh, on my
0: uh, hiatus from from uh, uh, public life, myself, uh, Elizabeth, and, and you oversaw the operation of the of the Indy, and thank you for, for for your superb job in doing that. We published a piece about the budget uh, for, for for the legislature. Got the scoop from Mike Weldon, the the, the outgoing chief of staff, uh, uh, $8.8 billion budget. What, what, what uh, uh, stuck in your mind from that story?
1: Um, a, a couple things, one of which is really sort of notable, and I'm really curious to see what the this legislature chooses to do about it. We're going to have the biggest rainy day fund balance we've ever had going into this Session, It's 300 the, million. Or yes, so? it's in the hundreds of millions. Yep. That's sort of unheard of. And because the economic forum just recently projected roughly a 7% budget increase over the biennium, it's not necessary. It doesn't seem to me at this point to raid that fund. And in light of the recent talk by the economic forum and in other places, uh, and it's been brought up in a couple of Nevada independent stories that Most economists and experts and watchers of the market do think we're heading towards a downturn. Uh, sometime in the next couple years, maybe not a full recession. Uh, but there was certainly talk at the Economic Forum a meeting most recently uh, about this assumed slowdown. I'll be interested to see how a Democratic legislature with a Democratic governor uh, chooses to proceed, because in the past, the lawmakers couldn't get their hands on that rainy day fund money fast enough. And we'll see if they're going to leave it there in preparation for this possible downturn or whether we're going to have a zero balance by the time we get to June. And then where does that leave us? Where does that leave the state Um, down the road? That's one of my big questions for the session.
0: You know, it's interesting because uh, this whole question of the rainy day fund and, and uh, what should be done with it. You're right, $300 million is an unprecedented uh, amount of money. A lot of that is because of the very controversial diversion of, of, of the pot money because of the legislative maneuverings at the end in, in 2017 and there's already been a commitment from a lot of these folks uh, to take some of that out but the question is the question is what 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 is too much what is not enough what should you have in there and the bottom line is you know economists are like uh, journalists or lawyers you know you put a few in the room and you're gonna get X number of opinions on on, on things and uh, does it make sense that there might be an economic downturn coming in general well you're looking at what's happened uh, as 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 we record this podcast uh, on Monday afternoon with the stock market over the last uh, few days or or, or weeks. And and, and it seems like things may be getting a little shaky and should they be uh, more cautious or not? On the other hand, yeah, the interesting thing about the $8.8 billion budget, and, and as you mentioned to me uh, before we got on the air, we, we, we have a great story and an infogram detailing all this, is a lot of that increase is going to be eaten up by the roll-up costs for Medicaid, for for, for K-12 through students, for some other losses of, 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 of revenue. So uh, it, it it's not like we're flush, uh, and but but here you have this, this three – levers of government in Carson City controlled by the Democrats and this, you know, all the fears that the Republicans stoked during uh, the election, that this was going to be, you know, taxifornia uh, and and all the rest of it. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how they all interact.
1: Yeah, it will be. And, you know, Democrats are not a monolithic group. You know, any, if you get enough, you know, 50, 60 people in a room, even though they belong to the same political party, that doesn't mean they're all on the same page on uh, every issue. So, you know, we all know that we have a there's a more progressive wing of our legislature and there's a more conservative wing and there's some in the middle. Um, we've got some new leadership on, in terms of committee chairs and vice chairs. It'll be interesting to see which which bills, you know, make it in. Um, and then other, so and a lot of big issues to deal with, not just energy. The education funding formula is going to be on the table Um, We've got health care reform on the table in a couple areas, including mental health care reform. Megan Messerly wrote a fantastic piece on Sunday about four bills, pre-filed bills at this point that have come out of some regional mental health boards that were set up by the prior legislature to figure out what do we do about the mental health crisis uh, and services across the state, both in the urban and the rural areas. That's going to be a big issue as well.
0: I think we should wrap. We've talked about the legislature. we talk talked about the governor here in the sense that this $8.8 billion budget is a budget that was prepared by Governor Sandoval. uh, But uh, uh, Governor Sisolak, governor Alex Sisolak, does not have to adhere to that budget. Uh, He can tweak it. He can rip it into shreds and do his own. What's interesting, going to be interesting to watch are two things I think I'm interested in your opinion on this. Number one uh, is how Progressive is Steve Sisolak really? Is he the Steve Sisolak we saw in the primary, where he tried to be a, a super progressive uh, when he was running against a, a, an unabashed liberal and Chris June Killian? Or is it the more moderate guy that we've seen? What will he uh, uh, put in there to use the euphemism of budget enhancements? And uh, 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 what, what won't he? The second thing that I think is interesting is that here's a guy who, because Brian Sandoval did not endorse the Republican nominee for governor, in fact, quite the opposite opposite. used him in commercials, made it essentially sound like I am going to carry on the great legacy of Brian Sandoval. So will he just essentially all but accept that budget? I think both those things are fascinating uh, questions for this session.
1: I think so too. I've been wondering whether, I mean, Siselec's definitely his own man in many ways. He's shown that uh, in his years on uh, the commission. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious as you put it, what does he tweak the budget? Does he gut the budget and just start anew? Does he accept some of what S- uh, Sandoval proposed and, and created, and, but perhaps make some changes in some other areas just to kind of signal you know, that I am my own man you know, now that I'm governor? If I had to predict, I, I'd say he, I expect him to govern fairly moderately. I think that's his nature. I think that's where he kind of sits authentically on the political spectrum. That doesn't mean um, that he won't lean one way or another depending on uh, on the topic.'m um, I'm, I'm curious to see, I'll add one to your list. What kind of a relationship builder is he gonna to be? How much time is he gonna spend walking over to that legislative building, talking to leadership, building individual relationships, getting getting ready for the end game? early in the session, which is what most good, engaged governors uh, do, because they know there's going to be some deal-making at the end of the session. I'm, I'm curious to see how he handles himself out of the gate in those first few weeks of the session.
0: I think it's a great question. and I should just mention, as we wrap up, that one interesting thing that happened just today is that Sisolak added a new member, a couple new members, actually, but one of them was really interesting to his transition team, a guy by the name of Mark Stevens. Uh, who is somebody I've known for 30 years and and who is uh, 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 maybe the state's foremost expert on the budget. He worked as a fiscal analyst and the chief fiscal analyst at the legislature for many years. So he clearly wants to understand the budget and wants an expert in that. And so I give him a lot of credit. That's a brilliant move, putting Mark Stevens uh, on there. Anything yes. else, Elizabeth? Uh,
1: no, I'll just agree with you that the one mark of a good leader – Uh, is knowing what you don't know, speaking of what we were talking about earlier, and and bringing... Uh, solid people in to advise you on topics. So yeah, I agree with you. This is a good uh, a good step in the right uh, direction. I do want to just remind our uh, listeners that we're in the last couple weeks of our News Match fundraising campaign, um, thanks to some very generous national uh, donors, including the Knight Foundation and the MacArthur Foundation, uh, the Indies and a group of nonprofit news organizations who will have donations matched through the end of the month up to a total of 25,000. So if you go to uh, the Indie page or just if you follow us on Twitter, just click on our News Match link, give any amount up to $1,000 between now and the end of the month, and that donation will be uh, doubled. We only have about 9,000 to go. Uh, We're more than halfway there. So if you haven't um, yet done all your Christmas giving and end of year charitable uh, donating, uh, please keep the Indie in mind for that.
0: Great words, whatever holiday you, you celebrate, please uh, please give us a gift. and uh, uh, we are a 501 C3. It's tax deductible uh, to. We love our, our readers. We love our readers who are donors, slightly more than we uh, love uh, anybody else. Elizabeth, Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Indeed,
1: great to have you back.
0: Thank you for for that too. Uh, a reminder for to, to everybody before I close that you can uh, hear this podcast on ninety one point five Jazz and More every Saturday at six in the morning. That's right, six in the morning on Saturday. So set an alarm or. Just be like a normal Vegas person and stay up all night on Friday night just so you can catch Indie Matters at our 6 a.m. time slot. Much coveted, uh, I, I think. That is all the time we have for this edition of Indie Matters. We want to know what you think. If you have ideas, criticism, or even praise, email us at ideas at thenvindie.com. Check out the site. If you haven't already, the Nevada independentcom hate to beat a dead horse. Actually, I don't hate it. It's my job. But that support our work button is the best button on the site. I want to thank Dallas Harris, the new senator, and of course, Riley Snyder uh, for being here and especially for saying again, in case you missed it the first time, he said University of Nevada, Reno, <laughs> not University of Nevada, one of the great moments of my life and one that Riley is going to never live down. Thanks to Sam, man who boosts this podcast for us and all of our friends uh, here at UNLV's Greenspun School. And as always, many thanks to Joey Lovato, our fantastic UNR connection who makes us all sound... Podcast smooth. I think you were even smoother during the holidays, Elizabeth. I'm very impressed. I agree. (laughs) I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Thanks for listening to Indie Matters and we'll talk to you next week.
2: by the University of Nevada, Reno. By the University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, Joey, please delete this. <laughs> please take it out. <laughs>
0: He's talking to our producer, but then...
2: By the University of Nevada, Reno.